All right, well, hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Cedar Valley Church. I am here at Brad and Jen's place because I smelled some good dinner cooking, so I thought I'd pop in. Uh, what are we making here? Spaghetti. Oh. Well, these are the noodles. Right. Sauce is in there. Oh, sweet. This isn't Thanksgiving dinner, though, is it? Not yeah. Thanksgiving dinner. Not yet. No, because this is actually Friday. We're just recording this ahead of time. But uh, what are you guys Thanksgiving plans for this weekend? Uh, we're going over to, to Jen's mom and dad's or mom and dad. And it's actually really exciting because Val is able to see, see us now. That's a, that's a sweet thing to be thankful for. Very thankful weekend. for, uh, for mom's health. Oh, Absolutely. right on. Well, Hey, we're going to get this service started. Uh, welcome here again. If this is one of your first times here, a special welcome to you. We're really glad you're here. So if you guys are wondering how to stay connected with Cedar Valley, what can we do Grant? We're going to go on Instagram. Yeah. Snap. Facebook? No, I, Snap, I oh, said no, no nothing to Snapchat. We're on <laughs> Facebook too. Do you still use email? I have email. Good, because we send out emails. Yeah, yeah weekly emails. Yeah, and, and then of course, uh, it's live streamed on YouTube. All right, so last week we got to have one of our in-person services that we're doing once a month. We haven't done it for a long time, but we're really excited to, you know, once a month, we're gonna meet together, do in-person worship services. We're gonna continue doing stuff online. But last week we got to announce something really exciting. Yeah, as great as that was to see you guys all on uh, Sunday morning, we're really encouraging everyone to meet together in groups at home, small groups, uh, to watch the service and, uh, and just to have a bit more intimate feel and just to get to know each other, get to know your neighbors, get to uh, know your community that's immediately around you and uh, serve God in that way. Totally, and what's sweet is we're asking you guys to do this and just engage with the Sunday morning content that we're putting out online. So you don't have to be a scholar or anything like that to get involved. In fact, even after this morning, don't just tune off after Pastor Rob's message. Stick around for a little bit because we're gonna have some group discussion. We're gonna facilitate that, give a bit of information about it. There's some questions. If you wanna sign up to be a small group leader, it's as simple as just phoning the office or emailing the office and letting them know that you wanna do that. Uh, all you need is a TV and a willing heart to uh, host a few friends. Awesome, yeah. All right, we're just gonna head into a time of worship now. Pastor Doug's gonna bring us a lesson for the kids. All right, and then after that, Pastor Rob is bringing us a message continuing in our series we're calling Road Trip, and we're calling it that because as a church, we're going on an exciting new journey, looking for inspiration for really what it means to be God's church in this new era, this new season. So thank you so much for joining us on this long weekend. It, there's a lot of stuff to be thankful for, hey? You just mentioned about your mother-in-law. So much. Last week, we asked you to take a look at a few things you're thankful for. Uh, maybe even share it on the little uh, the chat on the screen on Sunday morning. Yeah, We're going to have a great morning, Cedar Valley. Thanks for joining us. Hey Cedar Valley, it's Carol Unger here. I just want to thank God for um, the next phase of our lives. Even though it's COVID, Steve and I retired technically in February. We stopped mm. working for an income, but the truck sold this week and I'm very thankful for that. This Thanksgiving, I'm thankful that throughout the pandemic, I've been able to keep working full time. That has been great. I'm thankful for, like a lot of you, for family. We've been able to spend a lot of time with our family during this COVID season. But also thankful to be able to get out a little bit and enjoy our province. I am thankful for God's creation, for this beautiful world, especially where we live. I'm so thankful um, just that God gave us such gorgeous things to look at every day. I'm thankful for well, this past seven months being having had reasonably good health, good enough to allow me to get out and enjoy uh, our surroundings. Yeah, this Thanksgiving, I'm thankful for all the frontline workers who've been battling through all of this and just put themselves at risk to help everyone else. They're real heroes. 
I am thankful for my family and loving friends. Thankful for going back to school and being able to see my friends. And thankful for music. I am so thankful for my kids and my wife. They are just the peace in my life that I don't think I ever expected and uh, far exceed anything that I could imagine. Another note, I'm so thankful for our grandchildren and for the fact that we get the opportunity to speak into their lives. We're thankful for God's faithfulness. Our children are scattered around the globe and we can't visit them and yet we can see them via FaceTime and things like that. We talk to them. A little different than them being here, but we know they're in God's hands. Um, today I am especially thankful for being able to come here and worship again. Um, I have a lot of things to be thankful, although COVID has been really rough on a lot of people. I still have my family, I have a wonderful job to go to. While I'm not thankful for COVID, I am thankful for the opportunities that COVID-19 had brought for us to slow down, to really value our friendships, our relationships with each other, with our neighbours, with colleagues online or on site, with our family. I have been really thankful in this season of COVID um, that my father, who has had a couple of strokes over the last year, was not put into a long-term care home. But his wife, my stepmother, and her daughter and her husband have decided to look after him at home. I just can't imagine what that would have been like. So I think this, this Thanksgiving, that is a thing I would Thank you. And I'm thankful also for my health. I had a couple of scares, like a possibility needed surgery in the summer, and it uh, all went away. I'm thankful that we get to go out to Alana on Wednesday night, and I'm truly thankful I get to spend Thanksgiving with my family. I am just blessed to be here with all of you. No, I gotta tell you, this journey through this time of COVID, God has, he has become my intimate, loving friend, savior. I want everyone to know that he is here. He is in your home. He's with you through COVID and everything else. I'm thankful for the opportunity to find peace and full reliance on God. And this is the opportunity that COVID-19 had given us. Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever.
Unclean, unclean. Stay away, unclean. What a horrible racket. Oh, hey Cedar Valley kids. It is great to see you again today. Now, did you know that many years ago, many, many years ago, right around the time that Jesus was living on the earth, if you were sick, and maybe um, not just a little bit sick, but if you were really sick, and some people had a disease that we call leprosy, and sometimes that would mean there'd be bumps on your skin and sores, and it would turn different colors, maybe yellow and then black. It was no fun at all to have that disease. But when you had that, people were very scared that if you got too close, it would jump from the sick person to the well person, to the healthy person, and nobody wanted that to happen. So, it was bad enough being sick with leprosy, and most of the people, they couldn't even stay in their homes anymore. You couldn't even live with your mom and dad. You had to live outside of town where all the people with leprosy lived. Sometimes maybe it was in a barn or maybe a cave or under the trees. But also with being sick and feeling bad and not being able to be close to your family and friends, if you went anywhere where other people were, you had to let them know that you were sick. So what a lot of people did, they had a bell or maybe just a pot with something to bang it and they would have to walk around like unclean, unclean, and everybody knew to stay far away. Boy, what a thing to have to do if you were really sick, especially if you had leprosy. Now, there's a story in the Bible, in the book of Luke, chapter 17, starts in verse 11. We're told that Jesus is going on his way to Jerusalem. And he's passing this one town. And as he's walking into town, there's a group of 10 people that had leprosy. Now, they should have been standing way back, banging their pot, saying, unclean, unclean. But it says in the Bible that instead of yelling that, they stood at a distance and they called out, Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us. That means help us. We need your help. Now, they had probably heard that Jesus was amazing. That he was the son of God and he could do miracles like heal people of leprosy that was part of their body and making them sick. So they called out to him. I'm just going to put these down. And then Jesus stopped and he turned and he looked at them. And he says, okay, go to the priests in the church at the temple and show them that you're going to be clean. And so they turned around and they started walking. And sure enough, all of a sudden they noticed maybe the blackness on the ends of their fingers and toes was turning all nice color again, like the skin and flesh. Maybe the bumps on their arms and their heads and their bodies were going away and they didn't hurt so much and feel sick so much. And they realized, hey, we're getting better. We're being healed. And so they kept going. See, the rule was back then that if you had a sickness, you couldn't go to church, which is a really terrible thing to not be able to do. But then when you were better, you could go to church, but you had to go to the priest and he had to say, yes, you're clean. You can come back to church. Well, as they were heading there, one person 
stopped and he turned around and instead of going to the temple, he headed straight for Jesus. And it says that he fell down on his knees in front of Jesus. That mean, and he just said, thank you, Jesus, so much for what you did for me, for healing me. And the other nine, they just kept on walking away. And Jesus said, hey, didn't I just heal ten? And how come there's only one person that came back to thank me? And a matter of fact, he says right in the Bible here in Luke, he said, the person that turned around and thanked me, he doesn't even go to church. Where all of these church guys, they're just heading off to, to the priest and they're not even coming back to thank me. Wow. And then Jesus said to him, he says, your faith, has healed you, and your faith has saved you. Oh, how cool is that? Now, you know, I don't think those other nine, I don't think that they weren't thankful. They just forgot to turn around and say thanks to Jesus. And sometimes, you know, we can forget too. But, you know what's really important? If we are very thankful in our life, to God, to Jesus, our parents, when people help us and do think nice things for us, then that's one way people can see that we love Jesus because we have very thankful hearts. And one of the ways to remember to be thankful so we don't forget is if you're thankful for something, then write it down. It helps us remember so we don't forget. Then do something about it. Respond to it. Maybe go to that person and say, thank you so much for what you did. Maybe write a little note or a card or maybe make them something or bake them something and bring it to them and say, thank you so much for what you've done because that helps us remember to be thankful. Just like this one person did out of all of the 10, the only one that came back. Especially on this weekend when we want to be thankful but always remember, maybe write it down so you remember, and then also do something about it by way of showing how thankful you are. It's great to be with you again, kids. See you next week. Hey, Cedar Valley. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, thanks, Pastor Doug, for already leading us along those lines, and Pastor Grant for those interviews that we began our time together with today. That was awesome. If you would then now with me turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Um, <clears throat> You'll know this very shortly. There is a word in this passage that I'd like you to keep account of, either as you listen to me read it or as you follow along uh, in your own Bible or Bible app reading together. Again, the, the address for our reading is Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. And the word that we're going to be looking at, and I'm going to ask you to count, is the word time. Are you ready? 
here we go. There is a time, so that's one. I won't count them all out. Just giving you a sense of what I'm hoping for here. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, which we'll talk about, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, that would be a time I like, a time to tear down or a time to tear, sorry because we talked about tear down earlier, a time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war. A time for war. We'll look at that too. And a time for peace. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 through 8. Time, why do you punish me? That's, of course, the lament of Hootie and the Blowfish back in 1994. Great song. Uh, maybe echoes even of this passage. I'm not sure if Hootie or the blowfish for that matter, had these verses in mind from Ecclesiastes uh, when they wrote that song, but this passage which we've just read together might be a little punishing for how brutally honest it is about tough times under the sun, or as we read, under heaven, and maybe even how many times it mentions the word time in it. Did you keep count? Um, if you did, on the count of three, tell those you're with or shout back to the screen how many times you counted the word time in the passage. All ready? One, two, three. If you counted 28 times in eight verses, you'd be wrong. It's actually 29. There's 14 pairings, and it's said twice in each pairing, and then, of course, there's one in the introduction. Remember what we said last week about looking for repeated words in a passage for a clue for what it's talking about? Like, there's no mystery here. The passage is about time. But what about it? Okay, so overall, it seems to be saying that there is an appropriate time for everything. Things that happen to us and things that we make happen, both pleasant and unpleasant. Some have wondered, and I think it's valid to wonder, if this passage, if the book of Ecclesiastes overall actually, is descriptive or prescriptive in nature. Meaning, is this passage, is this book, Ecclesiastes, describing life such as it is on a fallen planet or is it giving us permission to do such things as it describes? I'd say yes, both. And it's for discerning people to know the difference, okay? None of us, for instance, ask to be born. It just happens to us. None of us asks to die. It's something God determines if you believe in God. But we can otherwise, for instance, choose to speak or to be silent taking up from the passage we just read here, to search or to give up, to plant or to uproot, to kill or 
to heal or to make war. So let's stop there for a moment and take a look at those two verses in particular that we might find challenging as Anabaptists to sort of resolve as peace people. So I've already missed one slide. Here's the address of our reading. We're going to go to this one here. These two questions, a time to kill, a time for war, really? Is there? Is that prescriptive or is it descriptive? I think we would agree it's probably descriptive, but let's look at it a bit more. The Anabaptist way is to not take up arms for war, like the venerated conscientious objector Desmond Doss, who served as a combat medic in World War II, who saved 75 men in the Battle of Okinawa, whose life and service is featured in a Hollywood film, which many of you may have seen already, from 2016, Hacksaw Ridge. The Anabaptist way is to never take a life, but be willing to give your own if necessary. This, we would say, as Anabaptists, is the way of Jesus. This is when it's helpful to, as we said last Sunday again, to dig into the meaning of words like kill and war in their original Hebrew. So here they are, because I know you're wondering. The word for kill in this passage is the word harag. It means to kill or to slay, but it's different than the Hebrew word used for murder in the sixth commandment which we find in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. It's reasonable to conclude that God doesn't want us to murder any other human being, as the Sixth Commandment says, even though he has given us permission to slay animals for food in Genesis chapter 9, verses 3 and 4, for instance. So don't murder. Secondly, as it relates to war, then, the Hebrew word, for war here is the second word listed on the screen here, which is milkama. Okay? It means a battle or a war, but it's not specific to warring such as Mr. Das experienced it. We can, and I would argue we should, war against abuse and oppression and poverty and racism and other evils without doing violence to anyone, right? And certainly we are instructed to engage a spiritual battle against Satan and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We find this in Ephesians chapter 6 by tearing down his deceptive strongholds, arguments, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In other words, the war we wage is against bad thinking and the one behind bad thinking. And the weapons we use principally are prayer and scripture. Okay, that was a nice Bible nerd sidebar. So let's get to the passage. What about time? Well, God's in charge of it. He's given us a certain amount of time for this life. It's a gift which is intended to cause us to look to God to him with awe and wonder. This is what the writer says verses later in this passage in verse 14. To live our lives in relationship with the one who has given us our lives. So a, a time for what? 
Well, I can't answer that question for you. Maybe it's a time to plant something. More likely at this time of year, a time to uproot something. Unless, of course, we're talking about carrots or potatoes or broccoli or onions. Or maybe it's time to plant something spiritual. Looking into the community to help or into your family. Listening to and loving people. Sharing your experiences and understanding of God as part of normal conversations. Maybe it's time to tear something down. Maybe something physical or maybe some kind of stronghold in your life. Maybe it's time to mourn or to weep about a recent loss. Maybe it's time to embrace some people as long as they're in your COVID bubble. It's certainly a time to refrain hugging people if they're not in your COVID bubble. Maybe it's time to throw something away. Maybe it's time to mend a relationship. Maybe it's time to say something to someone you've needed to say to them for quite some time now. Or, or maybe it's time to say nothing and let God vindicate you. I do know this, however, that it's time for change at Cedar Valley Church. I think it's fair to say that where there's no change, there's no growth. And where there's no growth, there is dying. And like a number of churches in Canada today, Cedar Valley Church has been dying for some time, as a number of our church leaders have admitted. We've been losing people and losing ground in our community for quite a while. I know that's hard to hear, but is it, is it true? No one likes to go to the doctor to be told that they have a life-threatening disease. But if it's true, a proper diagnosis can give people a shot at a different prognosis. What's happened at Cedar Valley Church? It was a vital church in the past. I'd like to share with you a few dying church diagnostics. I'd like you to think about them and wonder if they apply, and if they do, how you might help change the prognosis of the church. Here we go. There are more, but here are five signs that our church might be dying. Sign number one, or marker number one. A steady decline of people. Growing churches are reaching out to and discipling unchurched people. They're spending their energy on who they are trying to reach, not who they're trying to keep. Are you reaching out to unchurched people? Do you know any unchurched people? When was the last time you invited someone to church? If your answer is never, or a long time ago, why is that? Secondly, in dying churches, innovation is rare. Is there space for new ideas at Cedar Valley? What, what value does the church place on, for instance, experimentation, trying something out to see if it might work? Or is it easier to come up with reasons why something won't work versus ways it could. Here are two measures that current ministry strategies are outdated. They aren't effective at what they're intended to do. And next generation leaders 
aren't adopting those same strategies. The third marker or sign that I'll talk about this morning of dying churches is that maintenance bumps mission. Dying churches focus on maintaining what they've built versus concentrating on the mission of the church. In fact, most members of dying churches can't even articulate the mission of the church. The fourth of these markers that I'll share with you is this. There isn't a clear discipleship pathway, which can lead to spiritual arrested development, which leads to spiritual immaturity. What do I mean by a clear discipleship pathway? Well, here's an example. Know, grow, give, go. Just an example to illustrate the point. This pathway represents the dynamic movement in our faith life from the very first time we place our faith in Jesus Christ to sharing our faith in him with others whom we would disciple. We get to know God as our forgiver and our leader. We grow in that relationship in a community of faith. We give of our time and our talent and our treasure in service of that faith community. And then we go into the world to share the gospel by word and by deed. Lots of believers miss this last step. So what, we might say, what's the big deal? Well, it's super important to Go to live your faith in the real world because going keeps us focused on our mission to make disciples. Because going keeps us connected to unchurched people and helps us stay adaptable to change and to be culturally relevant. Because going requires us to be constantly working out our faith to be ready to explain to people why we believe what we believe, which actually has the effect of bolstering our own faith. Because finally, there's nothing like being part of leading someone to faith and being around a new believer. It's, it's a total win-win. They move from literally life to death and their newfound curiosity and interest and passion energizes our own faith. Also, a win. And the last of the markers I'll share with you is this. They've lost their first love, their crush on Jesus. Here's a warning for us, actually, around that as it relates to the church as a whole. John wrote it in the book of Revelation, and it's a word specific to the church at Ephesus. And I'll be reading from Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, where John says, I know your deeds. God, as inspired by, sorry, John is inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote these things. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked men, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you've found them false. So well done, well done, well done. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and not grown weary. Yet I, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love, who is Jesus. 
Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. In other words, those things that were once the evidence of your vibrant love for Jesus Christ. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. The light that you are into the community. What's the overall state of your relationship with Jesus? Hot? Cold? Meh? What can you do to restore your passion for Jesus Christ? So, if these dying church markers apply, and if you are a participating member at Church, Cedar uh, Valley Church, what, what can you do? I'm sure you have your own thoughts, but maybe I can get the conversation going. Your own thoughts sort of catalyzed with a couple of ideas. The first being, and all these relating to the five markers that we just talked about. The first being this. Here's, here's, here's actually a, an overt challenge to you. Identify three people in your life you know, don't know, the love and the power of Jesus Christ. Write down their names somewhere private, and yet keep those names before you. Maybe it's on your phone, maybe it's in your room, written down somewhere where you would see it every day. Pray for them regularly. Connect with them naturally. They might even be your neighbors, actually. Serve them. Look for ways to help. Listen. Walk around your neighborhood and pray for people as you pass their homes. And stop to talk to anyone who's out at that time. Get to know your neighbors and get to know them by name. And begin to wonder with God how you might serve them. Or how you might speak some hope into their lives. With your story or a verse or wherever you feel led by the Spirit of God to go. You might even join a missional, bubbled, neighborhood-centric small group and care for your block together, which, of course, is what we're inviting you to do. Find another Cedar Valley Church member in your hood and form your own group. Or let your staff know. Well, let your staff know that if you do that. And then call your staff otherwise if you need some help finding a group. Two, think about Pray about new ways of expressing the gospel, new language for an old story, and new strategies of caring for people, and share them. Catalyze innovation. Tim Mackey of The Bible Project has a fantastic 30-minute video, by the way, of his take on the gospel and how we can express it as compelling good news for everyone. Just Google Tim Mackey on the gospel and you'll find it. Tim Mackey, T-I-M, and then Mackey, M-A-C-K-I-E. Three, get mission-focused. Get mission-focused. Look upward to our Lord, if you think of those things spatially, to be reminded that you are loved by God. This is your identity. This is who you are. Look inward to the church to learn and to serve and to grow. And then, grounded in your relationship with God, and supported by your faith community, look outward to reach out to people who don't know Jesus yet. Make disciples at home, in your family, 
at work into your neighborhoods. Four, assess where you are on the pathway of discipleship, such as you see it right here. Have you stalled out in any one of these steps towards maturity? And what steps do you need to take then towards growing in your faith and becoming more mature? And then five, the last of these ideas, create a strategy to regularly connect with Jesus in a way that makes sense to how you're wired, okay? So read the Bible, listen to podcasts, start a worship music, join a small group of other believers, care for others, social justice, nature walks, prayer, like whatever it is that draws you close to the heart of God and tell someone about it who can encourage you pray for you, and join you on the journey. So it's tough to hear and lots to think about. So let me end with these, uh, with these three encouraging statements that I actually shared with leaders on Tuesday night at our meeting. And they are, remember these things because they're true. The church is God's plan to reach the world with his gospel of love and forgiveness. There is no plan B. The dynamic giftness of the church combined with a spirit-filled people means like there's, there's no problem that's unsolvable. And then thirdly, anything with God is possible to do. And there's a couple of verses here located that you can look up and find to support that last thought. Are you ready for such a time as this for change? I'll just go here to the last of our questions, which, is though, which are those for groups for discussion. No, sorry, questions for group discussion. You can see them there as, uh, as I close, but they are, where would you put yourself on the no, grow, give, go discipleship pathway? Talk about that. What would, you, uh, what would be your measures for answering that question? Whose responsibility is your spiritual growth? Is it yours? Is it the church's? Is it both? And then secondly, like that's three, four, anyway. Secondly, how can you maintain a healthy, growing, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ? Because that's where it starts. Let's pray. Father, I believe that we can do anything with you that gifted and spirit-filled, we can tackle any problems together. And that we, the church, are your plan. There is no plan B for sharing your gospel of love and forgiveness. I pray that we would see our part in that, the adventure of that. It can be difficult, scary, challenging to reach out. It can be difficult to answer questions in discipling that we might not know, but we can find out together. It can be even difficult sharing our faith because sometimes we don't feel as good about our faith as we would like to. And we have doubts. So I pray that... Um, we'd be reminded that you are with us in this journey, that the conviction that draws people to you isn't our responsibility, but 
is your spirits. It is only our responsibility to be messengers, to talk about you thoughtfully because we've had experience of you genuinely and to care for people like you would. To cause them to wonder maybe, looking at our lives or with the questions we might ask or the thoughtful ways that we listen or the things that we say, how we say them. Who, who are these people and why do they do that? And they, they're different. And hopefully we're different because they see Jesus in us. Thank you, Father, for loving us and modeling for us the way to live that is embodied in your Son but also that he, uh, he died for us to make it possible to live again. In his powerful and precious name I pray. Amen. God bless Cedar Valley. Hey, thanks for joining everybody this morning. Thank you, Rob, for the message. Yeah, thank thanks you. for bringing that to us. And you know what, it, I, I know you said like, maybe it's hard to hear, but this is exactly yeah. what we invited you here into our lives as a church to do is to <laughs> give us a chance to really examine uh, ourselves as a church, our own faith walks, us as a community, and... Yeah, it's the only way to get healthier, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you use the doctor analogy, too, and I yeah. like that, right? And, you know, sometimes I think the doctor analogy, half the time, we're just like, oh, as long as I'm able to wake up and I can still breathe, that's fine. But I guess a church, if you're just surviving, <laughs> that's not enough. Right. Yeah. You want to thrive. You want to be healthy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, hey, for everyone who is joining in, if uh, this is the part where we don't want you to tune out, hopefully you haven't by this point, this is the part where we want you to engage in some group discussion with the people who you might have been joining, uh, watching the service this morning together with. And if you are watching by yourself, hop over to the comment section too. We do have a staff or a leader who's uh, monitoring that, making sure that they can interact with you, they'll chat with you too. But the biggest nice. thing, yeah, and we would just love for all of you to get involved in these kind of small bubbled missional groups like you're talking about. Yeah. But hey, you know, if you are thinking about trying to get involved in one of these groups too, uh, yeah. we would love to help you out with that. So what you can do is throw up a comment here, give us an email, hello at cedarvalley.ca or a phone call, call the office 604. Hello, cedarvalley.ca. I'm not color, sorry. We're, <laughs> give the phone number, sorry. 604-826-2445. <laughs> It'll be bannered up there, so. Yeah. A huge thing is you don't have to be a scholar yeah. to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. We want to make it easy for you, yeah. and this is exactly what it looks like, actually. I've just heard this. Mm -hmm. Rob and I are going to spend a couple minutes here dialoguing about what he just told us, because I'm applying it to my life, too. And it's as simple as just asking yourself when you're engaging in these kind of, uh, the messages that the pastors are bringing is like, okay, well, if this is true, what does it mean for me like today and tomorrow, yeah. like right now? The, our Jewish friends would say there is no learning without application. Mm. It's, not, it's not enough to sit here, watch the feet, mm, yummy, digest it, and feel like oh, I'm growing, I'm learning. That would be stalled out. Totally. Right? So to put flesh on the bone here, to put shoe leather to your walk is what we're talking about. And we can do that often in the conversation. I can challenge you. You have new thoughts. You challenge me. It's great. You bet. So it's as simple as this. Rob, you've left a couple questions for right. group discussion up for us. Questions for group discussion, okay. So where would you, I, I'm curious, where would you put yourself on that pathway of discipleship from know to grow to give to go? Right, these four. Well, and That's right. Here, I'll, I'll let you in on the secret because I think it's so easy to say, well, you're a pastor, so you've, you've hit another step that's not even listed here, right? That's right. But super not true because honestly, and I'm gonna just confess a little bit here, uh, I felt like I was here strongly when I worked in construction because I was surrounded by people who had no idea who mm -hmm. God was, who anything about that. And then I could just like, 
the things that inspired me about God, the parts of my life that were all affected by faith, they came out constantly around people. And then I surrounded myself with Christians in the church. And sometimes I find myself <laughs> staying comfortably back here where I give all my time. I give a lot of yeah. my efforts, but it's hard to actually put the effort in to go again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. You got to be mindful that it's a step. And I want to say this too. I didn't say this in the teaching, but this is pretty linear and it looks pretty static. I think it's fair to say, actually, that you move around a fair amount in this. Like, yeah. I am, I'm getting to know God more and more as I enter worship experiences right. on Sunday morning, online or otherwise. I am growing as I, as I teach or right. as I um, dive into small group and uh, others like you sharpen me as another man. And then I'm giving uh, in terms of, as I said earlier, just my own tithing or my offering. Uh, the gifts I have, right, and yeah, out into the world. Uh, but we can bounce around it. It probably is better to see it as a as a cycle, actually, than it is a line. Yeah, because I think sometimes we we can say things like, I, "Well, I got there. I'm good now." Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I'm a yeah. fully developed, devoted disciple of Jesus Christ because I've hit the benchmark, and yeah. we're done. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this question because you mentioned this a couple times inadvertently last Sunday okay. that it is uh, your responsibility. To, for your own spiritual development and growth. Uh, so I took up a, that comment with a question, right. which is uh, wh whose responsibility is it? Is that true? Is it just yours? Is it the church's or is it both? And like to what degree do you think? Tell right. me about that. Yeah, well, you know, I think throughout the Bible, we see so many times where God has put intentional people, prophets, gifted apostles in place to learn from, to guide, to help people grow. Yeah. As central points were teachers, they leading worship, leading prayer, leading discussion, kind yeah. of like this. Uh, but I, I think what's happened, there's a bit of a famous story or uh, whatever, a missionary came over from China to America and started observing the churches, right? And this is after a lot of uh, American sent missionaries over to China. Right now it came the other way. And he observed these massive church gatherings that were so well orchestrated with thousands of people worshiping, praying. He said, it's amazing how much you can do without inviting God into this thing you've constructed. <laughs> I think that was Hudson Taylor. Yeah. Yeah, China in that mission. Yeah, it, it's so true, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, and so I think, you know, right now, COVID is actually, a, it's God's way of saying, we're praying for revival constantly. And God's saying, all right, fine. Without the building and the structures you're used to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So now we have to own it for ourselves a bit more. Yeah. I think that's the spirit of the question yeah. a little bit. Let's look at the second one then. Yeah, yeah. How, how can you maintain, how, how do you maintain a healthy, growing, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ? Because again, uh, if, we're, if we're hoping to naturally sort of talk about our faith with Jesus Christ, like we talk about cars yeah. or boats or the Canucks in my yeah. case, how do we do that in a way that it seems natural because it's really healthy? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a big one. I know for myself, I had a prof one time tell me that it seems it seems like you never hear of a story of somebody growing their relationship with Christ when their life is comfortable. And <laughs> yeah. you know, not that we have to look for like a masochistic like we have to be punishing ourselves. <laughs> right. But when bring on a crisis. Yeah, yeah. right. But right. when things are so easy that we don't have to think about God or yeah. Jesus in our life, we don't really have to depend on a savior. Mm -hmm. Right away, that's a trigger for me now. I can realize like, I, I bet I'm not putting any effort into it. So I, I almost look for ways where I have replaced Jesus with just comfortable systems in my life. Mm -hmm. But as you said, you don't want it to get to a point of crisis. And again, I, I think we'd use the analogy of our, our 
our marriages or yeah. close friendships, right? right? We don't wait for our marriages to get bad, to pour yeah. some energy into it. At least I, I hope we don't. So we, we have rhythms, we have practices. And I know for you, because I, I saw you post on Instagram this week, one of the ways you deeply connect with Jesus is through music. Yeah. Because it's, it. it's got a cerebral, a head component piece, but it's got a visceral, a heart piece, right? Mm-hmm. So I do find myself in the same way doing that. I think if I'm drifting, if I have an, an awareness of my comfort, mm-hmm. or I, 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 which tends to lead me forgetting about Jesus, right. I will throw on some worship music. Not just because my life is going bad and I need to go, <gasps> help me, but, oh, I love you. So I'm going to, oh, I'm going to deposit those truths back into my brain to, to reflect on you, enjoy you. Right. Does that sound like that works for you as well? It sounds like it works for you too. <laughs> so, absolutely. <laughs> well, hey, you yeah, know what? Thanks for tuning in. This is what it looks like, right? Yeah. It's easy, it's simple. Hopefully that you can just keep this going for a long time. Grab some lunch with each other, right? Have some fun at home with this. But Cedar Valley, thanks for joining us this morning. Pray that this is a blessing to you. Grab a Diet Coke. Grab a Diet Coke. It's a healthy option. (laughs) Cheers. Have a great week.